and welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I feel like I just constantly see Ronald Acuna Jr. wherever it might be, whether it's a video clip of him on Twitter, whether it's a stat from you, whether it's just a random tweet in general explaining something that he did. But honestly, I, I see that you have the top thing to talk about in general is just Braves. And like, obviously Acuna is so big in their success, but just in general, this Braves seems ridiculous. And I think we were all sort of expecting that anyway, but even still, just the numbers that we keep seeing with them is blowing my mind every single week that I continue to see the stuff that you're putting out there. So because of that, I guess we just start with, I think you have it as this week in Brave Stats because it just seems like it's a weekly thing at this point. So go ahead and run with uh, however you wanted to break down all of the stats that these this team seems to produce. Oh my goodness. I mean, they have been on another level uh, compared to any other team that we've ever seen. So one of the things that is first and foremost is that they're on pace to break the home run record. If you remember back in 2019, a handful of teams broke their franchise home run record. And in route to that, the Minnesota Twins hit 307 home runs, the most of any team in the season and will be history. You saw a bunch of those, I'm sure, just being in the division there. The Braves threw 119 games, so through Tuesday, because we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, they have 231 home runs, one more than the Twins had this point I didn't do the math to uh, figure out their pace but the other day was 310 it's right around there I mean all they do is hit home runs as much as as you said Acuna is going to be as we talked about last week the first guy with 30 homers and 60 stolen bases in a season Matt Olson is leading the majors in home runs he overtook Shohei Tani and this team, I mean, it's not even just the big moppers, if you will. They traded for Nikki Lopez, who had been with the Royals at the deadline, kind of as backup, not necessarily playing to start him every day. And in his first four games, he had eight RBI. He had a five RBI game and a three RBI game. That was the most by any player in his first four games with the Braves since RBI became official in 1920. And he only batted in two of those games because the other two, he was a defensive replacement late in the game and didn't even get a played parent. So the best four games we have ever seen from a Brave. And he he really only played two of the games, and now that becomes even more important that he is playing well because Ozzy Albies went on the IL on Tuesday, which snapped another fun stat that we had. So Ozzy Albies, Ronnie Cunha Jr., um, 
Austin Riley and Matt Olson each played in each of the team's first 117 games. They were the first team to have four players playing each of the team's first 117 games since the 1944 Reds. So the idea of guys playing every day feels old school. When you say old school, you think 90s or 80s. But this is on another level entirely now. Of course, that streak ended because Alves went on the IL. But now Nick Lopez is there and has been playing well in Ozzy Alves' place. It's so funny because it seems like when these guys get traded at the deadline, whether they're supposed to be this blockbuster move or just a small move for teams, it always seems like in the first handful of games, and maybe it's just because of a Cleveland curse that I have this this viewpoint because I see it all the time, it always seems like guys produce. And it just, whether it ends up being the case for the whole second half of the season or not, the first handful of games, it always seems like the new guy is on a rip and a tear. And it's funny to actually see it from a different team's perspective because I'm so used to getting the text from you saying that Josh Bell had another (laughs) home run with Miami um, or when Ahmed Rosario would hit a home run or just, I mean, he was just playing well with the Dodgers. So I'm used to it from that perspective. I remember Eddie Rosario, as long as we're talking about the Braves, Mm -hmm. like Eddie Rosario leaving Cleveland where he did absolutely nothing and then all of a sudden he was just a star throughout the postseason. And it was just like, okay, so this is what that Cleveland curse is that everyone was warning me about before I came to the city. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's, it's always ridiculous to me to see how it could be the biggest guy, it could be the smallest guy, big trade, small trade, whatever. And it always seems like these guys just immediately start producing. And so obviously Nicky Lopez now has that opportunity. But the Braves, dear Lord, are they... They're a team where it's like that heavy favorite where you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a team that makes the run. And every year it seems like that team where you're so confident in, it always seems like they're the ones who are the shocking upset in the postseason somehow. And it's earlier of a departure than what you expect. But this is a team that I think if they would make the run the whole way to the World Series, it would be really fun for a national audience to watch every single night because this team seems so fun to watch. I mean, it's such a dynamic team. You know, you think of Acuna on the base path, that speed. You think of the fact that they have a 502 slugging percentage right now. They'll be the highest by any team in a single season in MLB history. Think about that. The entire team is looking above 500. But I will say we saw in the beginning of the second half what their issue may be, and it was pitching. There was a point where um, entering the weekend, this past weekend, I believe their starters had the second worst ERA in the second half. Now, they kind of got back on track against the Mets and even further against the Yankees so far. Bryce Elder, who had not been pitching well, allowed one hit last night on Tuesday. But I think if we see them bow out early, it is going to be that pitching. Now, Max Fried is back. He has looked really good. He has Max Fried, you know, uppercase, you know, no... Uh, no question about that. 
but there are questions a bit deeper and with the um with the bullpen overall so I think you know that's why you never know in October but I would say are two top teams in the NL the Dodgers and the Braves both had similar issues in July with their pitching and both seem to have gone back on track so then it's a question of whether that can extend all the way into and through October. And to me, if you would have told me back in March, February, as uh, spring training's getting started, that the Braves on August 16th before play begins would have a 77 and 42 record, I would be like, yeah, I, I, I buy that. That sounds about right. This team's probably going to be fun, really good, everything that we would have expected for them this year. That sounds about right. If you would have then told me that the Orioles had a 74-46 and 46 record entering play on August 16th, I don't know if I would have believed it as much because I would have bought that the Orioles were better this year. I would have bought that they would have been more competitive this year. We saw the foundation last year getting set. Um, we saw how much of an impact Adley Rutschman can make. We saw all of these things starting to come together. But for them to be as good as they have been, I would not have believed that. If that would have been in a crystal ball in front of me, I'd have been like, eh, I don't know. Maybe we're being a little too optimistic. But this team has been surprising and not only been surprising of just being near the top of the leaderboard all year long in a pretty good division. It's been in like the most competitive division. And that just makes it even more impressive. I mean, in the division that is going to set every record that is going to have the highest winning percentage, as you and I have talked about, highest winning percentage outside their division, you name it, and here they are leading it. Now, they're going to be the second team to go from 100 losses to the playoffs in a three-year span, right? So 100 losses season in between and then be in the playoffs the other team to do that with the Astros and it is just a remarkable turnaround I'm so happy for these fans we saw on Sunday baseball uh, what was that two weeks ago three weeks ago no sense of time whenever they hosted we saw just how how passionate that fan base is and I will say to anyone listening yes I know they had a bit of a blowout loss on Tuesday, but this is still a really, really good team. And I think the other thing, to your point of, you know, if you told you entering the season, Adley Rutschman is not having the season that I was hoping he might have. And I think that's important, too, for them to be doing this without him necessarily even being the MVP. You know, I think some people thought he had an outside shot and MVP for the season. He has been good, but certainly not all world, you know. And I think for them to be so balanced and be able to have that, he's been hitting leadoff at times, which has been so fun because he gets on base. But this team has just been really good top to bottom. I do worry about pitching, pitching depth. The fact that their pitching is young, so a lot of guys 
are headed towards innings, you know, that they've never thrown professionally quantities of innings. So it will be interesting to see, but I thought their series of the weekend in Seattle was a really good exclamation point for anyone who was saying, you know, are these Orioles for real? And no one's really questioning at this point, but it's still good to go out and prove it day after day. Were you surprised by, like, their approach at the trade deadline at all just because this seems like it's, I mean, it it doesn't seem like it. This is their year after waiting for so long to get back to this point. They've been excellent. Um, They're sitting atop the AL East. And I know that me and my colleagues who also cover the Guardians were sitting there on deadline day and we're just like, okay, at some point we're going to see some crazy moves by the Orioles. They're going to have to get somebody. Um, They obviously got Jack Flaherty, but that's not the name I was actually expecting to happen. I was expecting something maybe bigger, but um, it's tough. It's always tough to acquire pitching at the deadline. Um, I knew Aaron Savali's name was getting floated out there, and I was wondering if the Orioles would go for that. And I was just, I I don't know. We were just sitting there like, wow, I, I can't believe the Orioles didn't make a bigger splash than what they actually did. You know, it's so hard to know because you look at the guys who've been acquired, those pitchers, and the guy with the best stats so far, I believe, is Lance Lynn, who had the worst stats entering it. So you just never know which guy is going to, you know, whether it's uh, advice from a pitching coach or a new approach. We know the Dodgers are famous for that, for quote-unquote fixing guys. I agreed that I was, for their sake, hoping to see maybe even bigger of a splash, but I was glad they got someone. Unfortunately, you know, he was really good in his first start and then not as good since, but you look at, you know, Lucas Giolino was really good in his first start not as good since, so you just never know. And I think this is a team that I hope they win the World Series this year if they can, you know. This is certainly a team that is really, really good, but I'm almost more curious what they do in the off season. Will they finally go out and spend a ton of money on a pitcher, get a Blake Snell, get whoever it may be, and really beef up for the future moving forward because at the end of the day, the way they're good is not going away. They're really good and they're here to stay. So I think that's part of it as well. Uh, I I see, I, I laughed when I saw this, uh, this headline of what you wrote on our document saying that you really want to talk Patty Barrels. And so I think we need to take a quick break we can get into more giant stuff because, of course, your mom's going to be wanting us to get into some giant stuff. So clearly we need to do that. And then we can get into more wild card race stuff. We have so much more when we get back with ballpark dimensions. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy. That's Sarah. And to, of course, 
always appease Mama Slangs, we need to get into some Giants talk because it's been a while since we've had some Giants talk. I'm sure she's been anxiously waiting for us to get back in there. And I, uh, if, if you don't know, uh, Sarah's mom is a big Giants fan. So uh, I'm sure you've seen some of Sarah's tweets where there's going to be some screenshots of texts from her mother, which are always my favorite and the most entertaining. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's just so fun, one, to see things from a big baseball fan, just like a true fan of a team, because we don't have that anymore. Like, once you get into this job, you're just, you're rooting for fun angles, fun stats, cool things to happen. But to still see the perspective of such an avid fan of a specific team, it's always, one, entertaining, and two, just your mom's like live and die every moment it's just so funny and it makes me so happy every time you send me a screenshot you don't even have to tell me who it's from because i'm already gonna know who it is so let's get in some into some giants talk and i know you have on here i really want to talk patty barrels so sarah go ahead and talk patty barrels <laughs> oh my gosh so that's patrick bailey the rookie catcher for the giants and he has been no question to me, the absolute biggest bright spot for the Giants in the season so far. They're there in the wild card race, and I would say a lot of that has to do with him. You know, we're just talking about the Orioles, and the Orioles' turnaround really hinged last year on calling up Adley Rushman. And I would say Patrick Bailey has had a similar effect on the Giants. Now, he's hitting, you know, he had a walk-off home run the other day, and we'll get into that. But his defense has been absolutely incredible. Framing, pop time, throwing out runners, all of them. He is so good. And it is amazing that this franchise that had Buster Posey, who came up in 2010, and changed the course of that franchise. Now here we are, what, 13 years later. Name another guy whose uniform number, by the way, is half of Posey's. Posey was 28, Patrick Bailey is 14, and he is doing the same thing in so many ways. So I mentioned the defense. So the other day he hit a walk-off home run they had a game where Logan Webb was taken out with, I believe, two out and runner on second in the ninth. Runner, no. Yes, that runner ends up scoring. There's a man on first, and Patrick Bailey ends the top of the ninth with a caught sailing. So that caught sailing had a 1.71 second pop time. That was the fastest by any catcher to second base in the majors this season. And just so everybody knows, that place atop the list is always reserved for JT Realmuto. He's always the guy at the top of the list. Bailey had had a few that came close. He had the fastest by anyone not named Realmuto. But in this very key situation, here he is throwing out a runner, ending the top of the ninth, keeping the game tied. And then they end up going to extras, and he hits the walk-off home run. So it's truly the Patrick Bailey game. 
So he was the second rookie catcher to hit walk-off on for the Giants this year. Blake Sable did it back in April. They were the first team to have two rookie catchers hit walk-off home runs in the same season. Now, rookie catchers are not usually this good. <laughs> and most teams don't usually have two rookie catchers. Now, obviously, Bailey, since he came up, has been the guy. But it just shows you how important this youth movement has been for the Giants this year. I think it sums it up whenever you're seeing the team account. What day is it? Two days ago. Um, post breaking in all capital letters and says Patty Barrels is now on Instagram. And I think it sort of says it all whenever the team account is posting out that a player is just joining Instagram and you need to go follow him. I think that sort of sums up the uh, popularity maybe that he has among the fan base. And uh, it's funny to read the responses to it because everyone's like, I've been waiting for this day and all this <laughs> stuff. Um, but I think that sort of at least sums it up for anyone who hadn't really watched many Giants games this year or, year or understood just how big Patrick Bailey has become for San Francisco fans. Um, and I, I just, I think I say this every single week, but the rookies this year especially, and I am forever kicking myself because I actually had the opportunity to assign votes this year for the Cleveland BBWAA chapter. And I gave myself the AL rookie vote. And I'm like, why did I do that? Like the rookies on both leagues this year, <laughs> there's no clear cut. I mean, it just seems like there's so many guys who are really performing. And I'm just, I'm so mad at myself that I did that to myself. So now I'm going to have to really scour over lists and lists and lists of things to try to decipher who's better in whatever category. Anyway, that's just my own side rant where I'm upset with myself. But just the rookies this year that we've seen have been really excellent. And every year it just seems like you see the next wave and you're like, okay, this game's in good hands. I don't know where it's going to go from here, though. Because when we saw Acuna a few years ago, when we're seeing these guys, we're like, oh, it doesn't get better than this. Like Julio, it doesn't get better than this. And then it keeps going down, and each year yeah, we keep does. seeing more and more. And I'm just like, okay, this is really exciting, and there's always seems like there's a reason to be concerned about the popularity of baseball among younger generations and making sure that it's still a pastime that everyone enjoys and everyone's into and like it, you just there's always a concern there but then each year there's these rookies who show that oh my gosh we're still in good hands there's going to be ridiculously entertaining baseball for now and in the future and I think that's just the biggest takeaway every single season it's like the, the rookie classes and this year especially seem really really strong Absolutely, and to bring him back to the Giants for a sec, yeah, this is a team that had been an older team for a while. In 2021, when they won all of those games kind of unexpectedly, it was Buster Posey's last year, 
and Brandon Crawford was a big part of it. And it was a team that was definitely not, you know, going to have that same composition for the next 10 years. And I think it's really cool for Giants fans, the way it is for all fans, as you're saying, for them to be able to see what the future is. Seeing these guys, guys like Luis Matos, they had a guy debuted two nights ago named Wayne Meckler, who was drafted in 2022, played at four levels this year, and is already in the majors uh, at the end of the game last night. The first one he played in that they won, he didn't know he was supposed to go in for the group hug in the outfield. And it was just this most adorable thing of, like, these are kids. So I think especially for that fan base that had some amazing rookies back in, you know, 2010 with Posey and Bumgarner. And then 2011, they called up Brandon Belt. 2012, they called up Brandon Crawford for that team to be able to see what the future is, is really, really good and really important. And then we have the Giants still being in the thick of the NL wildcard race. We have a ridiculous AL wildcard race because I'm looking at how, I mean, Cleveland is in second place of the AL Central. They're four back in the AL Central in the lost column and then you look at the overall wild card race and they're eight and a half games out of that and it's just another reminder of how weird this al central division race is and how competitive the rest of the league is and so i think obviously with baltimore and tampa they are in a league of their own of how impressive their records are at the time we're recording this at 74 and 76, like I said earlier for Baltimore, 72 and 50 for Tampa Bay. And I think of 72 and 50 right now, just being a wild card. That's just insane. And so um, we've talked about that ALE so much this year and already today, but I just have no idea how we're supposed to at this point start to get an idea of where this may end up going, especially in the NL, because every single record is so close. Yeah, you know, so I put this as our final topic. I just thought, you know, maybe we each say whether there's a team outside the playoff picture right now that we think will make it. Like in the American League, for me, I keep looking at the Mariners, and maybe it's because I want them there. Maybe it's because I want Julio to play in the playoffs, whatever it may be. They were on a really, really good second half run until they ran to the Orioles over the weekend. They had a not-great loss on Monday in Kansas City. Tuesday, almost the same thing, but they pulled it out. There are two games behind Toronto right now. Red Sox are three behind, so it is worth mentioning them as well. Even though it's two games, it feels surmountable, it feels doable, but it's so hard to look at Tampa, Houston, Toronto, and Seattle and know that one of those teams will not be there. 
And I, I think someone even tweeted at me today just saying, like, not a Guardians question, but when was the last time that both Boston and the Yankees were out of the playoffs? Because it just seems like every year at least one of them is always in it. And I just started thinking, like, yeah, this is a little bit of a different year. It doesn't, it's not the same teams right now, at least. We obviously have a little more than a month to go. But it's not the same teams that you're always expecting. It's not Houston sitting at the top of the AL West. It's the Texas Rangers right now. And that's good. I think that's good for baseball is to have a little bit of variety, a little difference uh, from every single year. You don't want monotony. As fun as it is to watch teams go on runs like that for multiple years, I think it's good for a national audience to not have monotony, to not have the same teams every year going to the World Series, whatever it might be. And this is the year that is bringing that variety. I would be thrilled to see the Baltimore Orioles win the AL East. I think that would be Again, if you told me that in February, I would say no. Like they maybe they'll maybe they'll place third this year, but I don't think they're going to win the division. Um, that's I think that's great for baseball to see different types of teams like that finally get into the mix. I think the Rangers are an exciting team. You're looking at all those division leaders, and like like you said, if we're supposed to be picking teams that might not be in the picture. I felt like the Mariners, the start that they got off to, I was thinking they're about to go on a run. Like, oh, they're going to make up ground in the division, but it might, maybe it is a lot. That's a big, big task. Um, but it's, even still, it's just like I really thought that they were going to get hot at the right time, and they did. Um, but I think even over the next six weeks or so, six and a half that we have left in the season – I think they have enough time to make a clear push and get their spot in the postseason. Um, and I thought that from opening day that they were going to be this difficult team. The Guardians opened there. Um, they won the series there. And I remember looking, Zach Meisel and I looked at each other and we're like, wow, like the Guardians took the series in Seattle. Like this is going to be a great team. This is saying a lot. Well, ended up having both of those teams not having a great first half but um it just they've had that vibe to them it seems like on paper they should be really really great and I I think it would not be surprising to me if they made a push to get in at least in a wild card spot um and it wouldn't be surprising if they would take that from like Toronto or something like that um and and find a way into the postseason and then nationally, the division leaders are a bit more chalky, maybe. I think most people entering the year picked the uh, Braves, Dodgers, Brewers. Maybe people did have the Cardinals, who, of course, are not having a great season. But I think uh, Braves, Dodgers, Brewers was probably popular enough. And you go to the ball card. Okay, Phillies, most people figured they'd be back. But then you have the Giants, whom we talked about, who I don't think people necessarily thought would be this good this year. And then right now, the season ended today, the Miami Marlins and their minus 37 run differential <laughs> there. You know, I mean, we'll see what happens. Sandy Alcantara has looked much better lately. 
They have Josh Bell, who's basically Babe Ruth in New Orleans uniform. <laughs> so we'll see. Of course, Luis Rise is really, really valuable to that team. Jorge Soler hit his 30th home run last night, and uh, he's been really good for them lately. He was really good early in the year. Bit of a slump, but now he's back. But then you look, and there are two teams that game out. The Cubs and the Reds. And I don't think anyone had either of those teams in that spot entering the year. I almost feel like, I mean, to me, the Marlins, Cubs, and Reds are sort of equally flawed in their own ways. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that I could see any of those teams making it. The Reds, of course, you're in Cincinnati right now. There's so much fun to watch with L.A. and L.A. Cruz and all of their other rookies. The Cubs might be the most overall solid of these teams, but it's so hard to know. If I have to pick one that's not currently in a playoff spot, and it's not just because I'm watching them right now, but I think, I think I'd go Reds just because they're sort of scrappy in a way, and... Um, they can wreak havoc on the bases. They can force things to happen. Um, they know at least entering yesterday. Let me make sure that that's still the case. Yes, um, they lead the league in all team, all thirty teams in stolen bases. They're so fast. Um, Ellie De La Cruz, especially. Anytime you're going on anyone's baseball savant page and you see that they're in the one hundredth percentile, I guess they're pretty good at that. Um. And I looked that up last night because uh, Will Brennan threw out Ellie De La, De La Cruz trying to tag up from first to get to second from right field. And I'm like, okay, I know this dude's fast. Let's see what percentile he is. And, of course, it was in the 100th. And I'm like, dear uh. Lord, that's ridiculous. Um, but when you have that kind of speed, you have that type of ability to run um, I think I've I watched it kind of last year with the 2022 Guardians of what you can force and what you can control and the way that you're able to force other teams to make a mistake because you are fast, because you can swipe a bag, you can put yourself into scoring position, you can move yourself to third whenever there's zero or one outs and you can just easily get the sack fly. Like it's not the most pretty form of baseball or exciting form of baseball but it's that gritty like let's make it happen type and I think if you can get luck to fall in your favor a little bit those types of teams can find ways when no one's expecting them to to be in the win column so if I had to pick a team I think I'm going with the Reds um, but like you said there's so many of these guys who are sort of in the same ballpark and it's not really easy to predict who could be slightly better than who at the end of the season. For sure. And again, you run into the idea of, you know, with the Reds, a lot of rookies, a lot of guys who are reaching, you know, more innings than they have thrown before. I think of Andrew Abbott, who is pitching today. We'll see what they're able to do with him down the stretch. He's been so good for them. You want him to be able to be good on October 15th if they're there as well. So that would be maybe even an argument in the Marlins' favor. I know Yuri Perez, 
they sat down for a while specifically with this goal. I'm kind of limiting his innings, not for playoffs specifically, but just for his own good to not overuse him, um, you know, in his first year in the major. But having the grounding of someone like Sandy Contra could be helpful, but it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. And the love that we have really interesting races, and as you said, with some of the usual suspects and then some of not the usual suspects, which is awesome. Well, I think we can take a, another quick break so that we can come back and do our favorite segment of the week, which is our favorite moments from baseball. So stay with us and we will reveal ours. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and we will start our favorite segment with our favorite producer, Alana Schreiber. And Alana, I know you said you have a fun one this week, so do you want to give us your favorite moment from baseball over the last few days? Would love to. Uh, first off, want to apologize for any background noise. I'm currently at a coffee shop in Birmingham, Alabama, <laughs> and I am on my way back from Chattanooga, where I had the absolute pleasure of going to a Chattanooga Lookouts minor league baseball game. So when I was a child, I had a children's book about the Chattanooga Lookouts. Of course. Of course. About the one and only Jackie Mitchell, the legendary 17-year-old girl who played for the Chattanooga Lookouts in an exhibition game against the Yankees, and she struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Since then, some people have tried to discredit yeah. her and say it was just a stunt, but Babe Ruth took it to his grave, said it was very real, she was amazing, and that some people actually speculate that that was largely why more women weren't included in baseball was because they were just simply too good. So I was so excited. I had my own lookout scarf that I got to wear to the game um, that a friend had given me in the past, just knowing how much I love this <laughs> random minor league team in Tennessee. So to finally get to go to the game in my lookout swag and cheer for this team was a very, very special experience. I love Jackie Mitchell. I loved this children's book and it was really exciting to finally get to be there. I love that you wore a scarf, by the way, in the minor league game in early August. That's awesome. That's really cool. I love that. And again, you always bring this extra angle to this segment, which I love so much. Well, we always say she's like the most interesting person on the planet. And I'm telling you, she is because every, she always has like these little stories or nuggets or facts or something about her own life. And I'm like, you are just the most confusing in the best possible way person <laughs> and then on top of it you always have different type of angles to bring to our favorite baseball segment so very excited that you know you at least uh, bring some more diversity here from what we will go through of everything that is a baseball is the best moment I feel like on, t on Sarah's timeline so I, I, I like the variety that we have now. I so appreciate it and you know it's why I love baseball it's because you can find these really interesting little historical baseball nuggets really everywhere it, it's what makes the game so special. All right Slangs what do you got? Uh, so my moment was 
On Sunday baseball, Michael Harris II was mic'd up and he's chatting with Ruth and of course he is from the Atlanta area, he's from Georgia, grew up a Braves fan, he's 22 years old and they're asking him about, you know, playing with Acuna, playing with all these guys and he said, <laughs> he said Ron Acuna Jr. was his favorite player in high school and then here he is playing next to him and he wasn't trying to throw shade he wasn't doing anything like that it's just a numerical fact i mean ron mccurney jr debuted in 2018 this guy has been a brace fan his entire life lucky enough to be on the team that he rooted for but i just thought that was the most amazing thing they sitting there Next to a guy who, by the way, is 25 years old. It's not like Acuna has been around forever. Ancient. But he has been playing in the majors since 2018. He was, he was uh, Michael Harris's favorite player in high school. And then he said his all-time favorite player was Jason Hayward. I remember when he debuted and hit a home run in his debut in 2010 so just all this is amazing and they asked him what he did when they won the world series in 2021 so harris debuted last year so in 21 he was in the organization in the minors but when they won he felt like a fan he was at the parade with some of his friends who he grew up with in the crowd as a fan so he wasn't there as breeze minor leaguer michael harris the second he was there as a fan he mentioned on uh, i think being there with lawrence butler who just made his debut with the A's like two or three days ago but it's just incredible because we know not every baseball player grows up a fan in the way we were fans because they're so busy playing baseball, being amazing athletes, even as kids, then not all of them grows up with that passion for a team that we all had time for because we weren't busy being uh, baseball prospects. So when there is a guy who felt that way growing up and all the way through high school, it's just so amazing. I saw that. I saw your tweet about that, and it sort of was like a reality, sh like, shock where I was like, wait, how old is Acuna? Like, I'm thinking, wait, hold, hold on. Am I thinking, like, wrong here? And it was hard for me to believe that Acuna's been along as long, uh, around as long as he has. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it has been since 2018. And then you start thinking, oh, my gosh, guys who are in high school in 2018 are already in the big leagues. Like, how, how have uh -huh. we gotten to this point? Um, and the responses to your tweet always made me laugh too. Like some people saying, and I'm officially old and like everyone's starting to have that same moment of realization, but that's so wholesome because it, it, like you said, it wasn't a dig. It was just saying like, like, this is so cool. I'm playing alongside a guy who I used to idolize in high school, which seems wrong. But anyway, um, love that moment too. Um, and I have... A little bit of a, a different one when it comes to um, ages. Mine is more about someone who's only a few days old. 
Um, and it's dealing with Mookie Betts because I was yes. not expecting this. I was It was yesterday that I got a notification from MLB on my phone saying, meet baby Mookie. And I'm like, he couldn't have had, like, they couldn't have just had another baby. Like, I saw that tiny little baby on his wife's chest at the Home Run Derby. There's, there's no way that there's another one. Like, and I'm thinking... Well, maybe I can just see more pictures of that cute little baby because that baby was adorable. And so I'm like clicking on it. I'm like, hmm, what is this? And it has nothing to do with Mookie Betts' family, but it has something to do with a fan's family. As a fan was sitting right near the on-deck circle on August 2nd, Mookie Betts was standing there about to go up to the plate, and a fan said to him, "Um, if you hit a home run, like I'll – name my soon-to-be daughter like have her middle name be Mookie um which one is a cool middle name like that's so different I'm a fan um and Mookie himself then posted in a video yesterday explaining the situation and apparently he said I turned around and told him no don't do that man your wife wouldn't like that and so then just you know Mookie went up to the plate sort of forgot that interaction for a second and well he went up and he hit a 436 foot home run and so uh he said that when he was rounding the bases he wasn't thinking about any of that because he has those types of interactions with people all the time people love to say like oh I'm gonna do this if you hit a home run but not many people actually like follow through and so he sort of you know didn't really think about it there's a really cool picture MLB did a story um, we have it up on our site. Uh, our One of our news deskers, like Henry Palatello, who's actually based in Cleveland, and I know him pretty well, and one of our really good friends, Juan Toribio, they came together to put this story together. And um, they just sort of listed on here uh, and had a very cool photo on here about him interacting with that fan whenever he came back after rounding the bases. He saw them, he went over and gave them a fist bump. And the picture is incredible. They're all sitting there um, taking photos, recording it. I think the guy on the phone is probably the guy who made the promise. And I'm guessing he's calling his wife and saying, um, by the way, <laughs> and a few days later, the baby was born. The middle name is Mookie. Uh, Francesca Mookie Mancuso looks like is the name and one adorable hilarious and uh, Mookie was loved every second of it I guess his cousin handles his social media accounts he saw the tweets and uh, interactions or I guess the posts I should say I'm not used to this rebrand from X just yet Um, but uh, the posts uh, on X and he had said uh, by the way uh, I think that fan really did name the middle name of his daughter Mookie. And so then Mookie, of course, gets involved and sees all of it, sees Instagram and goes post it himself. And he goes on Instagram, posts a video of the whole interaction. And he just said he can't ma- wait to meet the little girl because that's going to be his little girl. And I'm so like, it was just so wholesome. Um, and I think it's hilarious how invested some fans get into the outcomes of games and things like that to the point of naming their children after one home run but uh imagine what that interaction right now is like for that fan and the fact that Mookie saw it and then responded 
Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I was hoping you would do this one because we need that. I mean, that is the point of this podcast for us is an interaction like that. I loved it. There was like a video where you see the guy on the phone with his wife, as you said. And by the way, Mookie is an adorable name for a girl. Like, I love it. And I think, I hope she goes by it. You know, some people go by middle names like Mook. I don't know. It's so so cute. I think that it's perfect. I think that I want, I really need an update at some point where this baby's at the ballpark and Mookie is getting his picture with her. And I am fully confident that it's going to happen. Because now that fan, why would the fan not try to follow up after Mookie has shown interest in the story? Um, because the fan's obviously a fan enough to name his daughter Mookie, uh, or her middle name Mookie. So we're going to be holding our breath until this actual reunion happens. And until then, we'll just keep podcasting. But that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast and we'll see you next week.